Hello, fella. Hello, welcome to the Batalbot Sports Podcast with myself and Josh Tobin and partners of Shiny Vinyl. It's a bit of, bit of an exciting one tonight. Um, I think from Twitter yesterday, everyone's uh, revved up and ready to go for it. So, Josh, how are you feeling? Good, but good. It's been a good week since we've done this last. I say good week, we're back in lockdown, we, so it's not, a, yeah, it's not the best luck. But um, no, but 5Ks are back. So, you know, time to run that drum off, innit? Yeah, well, I did um, on, was it yesterday or the day before? I, I did commit to doing a marathon in February and then I kind of said no. So it's going to be a half marathon uh, for the Wooden Spoon charity. So, yeah, I got to get the, the running trainers back out. Um, anything else, Josh, before we go and uh, introduce our special guest? No, but I mean, uh, we got James sat there, but uh, yeah, discovered a new technique to eat wraps this week. So that's a highlight for everyone. Do you want to discuss it, uh, Josh? Let's you up on our Twitter, but because yeah. if I start describing how you do it, basically just fold it to four, it's, um, it's blown my mind, to be honest. That's, that's the way life is, isn't it? It's locked down. Yeah. i got wraps that are blowing my mind. But the cricket fixtures are out. Premier League, yeah. we've had Yeah, that's pretty good. Time. Something to aim for start of April now. Hopefully yeah. the boys back out there and uh, enjoying some cricket. And uh, yeah, well, you started reading that legacy book as well, didn't you? I, fi- I finished that last week. Yeah, I started reading Legacy Book about the All Blacks. Pretty good, actually. It's, um, good reason. It's, it's a good insight into business, yeah, and, and good insight into the All Blacks. But we've got our special guest could have gone any All Black side. Dan Carter wouldn't have been known to the world if this man was born in New Zealand. Um, 81 caps for Wales, the 13th all time in Wales. Um, went to Glenavon School, uh, played for the Quins, Taipanach and Tata. He's played in three World Cups. He got two Grand Slams and one uh, Championship. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Huck. James, how are you? Yeah, you like boys? How's tricks? Ah, not too bad. Get on. Been, but... uh, hey, thanks for having me on, boys. What is no, it? Five Ks, Josh? You? Yeah, five Ks. Trying to get rid of this uh, some of this timber that's accumulated over the last ten years. So, uh, thought well, better time than any, isn't it? What, five k every day or something? Or? Yeah, I've been doing five k's every day now. Trying to get like uh, what do they say, ten thousand steps. They, they say to try and for, don't they? So is it? Yeah, just doing five k's. But um, oh mate, Jack, we put it on the Twitter. He's doing um, as if it's ten k every day for, isn't it, for January? It's two hundred two hundred fifty k in January, just over eight k a day. You works out. So yeah, it's good as as we are shocked out for Jack, raise money for mine. So anyone want to. Donate the links on the on the Twitter, but you probably won't find it now after after yesterday. So we'll have to re put the link in. Well, um, Jack. I do I do a couple since I finished. Yeah, I've been doing uh, like five k's my maximum. I want to try and keep fit like to a certain degree, but five k's plenty for me. I was down oh, um, been frosty the last couple of days, and I was down the front down in, on the prom in Mumbles, and I see as hell on the prom there. Eh? I was like one of the flipping mighty decks running down there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how, um, how have you found lockdown, James? Obviously, a um, bit of a strange um, year after your retirement. So, how have you found lockdown? Ah, oh, it's been tough for everyone, isn't it? But like at the start, the lockdown. Obviously, I was supposed to be finishing. But I did finish my career. I was hoping to have a couple of games to finish off. But then, obviously, that got knocked on the head. So I was a bit gutted about that. Like I didn't get to uh, have a bit of a send-off. and I, I had a testimonial, which was due in July as well, last July. That obviously 
well, I didn't get knocked on the head, so we'd open and do it next time I know, but we can't plan anything because yeah. we just don't know what was going to be, because, you know, obviously we need crowds and stuff, uh, supporters in there, so, uh, it's been a life, like, you know, like I said, I've been keeping, keeping fit, like, you know, going for some runs, doing a bit of training, and obviously our space have, have carried on, so I'm working there, and I was a kicking coach, and um, working in the uni, as you know, Ford, but that's yeah. what's gone old at the moment, so I'm, I'm doing some work in the academy, so, yeah, and keeping busy, like, but it's, it's just all a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, so, uh, so going back to testimonial, I know uh, a bud in nine stroke ten who could have 20 minutes if we need it. Josh is very good, he controls the game really well. But <laughs> yeah, we uh, that, that'd be great, actually. That could be a thing for the pod. We'd come over and, and do a podcast from, from the testimonial, but yeah, it'd be a great day. I know, um, uh, Paul, uh, Paul James had one last year, and that was a, a great day. So hopefully, oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah. It was jam packed. It was nice to see them all, as much as I'm an Abraham boy, it was nice to see them all packed out again and uh, being used to its full extent. And um, obviously, like the career you've had, you deserve deserve a good send-off. And, and like anyone, we, we gutted that you uh, you had to finish a little bit earlier than, than expected. But James, um, we, have a, we have a tradition uh, every pod, which you know, because I've mentioned it to you, we have a beer of the week. So Josh, do you want to start with the beer of the week? I'll start with being the, being the week, mate. I think uh, in the week four, you touch base with uh, James the new and see what he fancied. So, um, all our listeners for being the week, side of the week this week. And uh, as you know, before we like to say topical on this show, don't we? Yeah, we do. So, like uh, we're going to go, as we're going into a third lockdown, now, we're going to throw ourselves back the first one. And um, we've gone for Thatcher's Cloudy Lemon Cider, we have. It's a strong drink, but in That's my new. In, in in Somerset, James, where I'm working now, I think I'd be um, hanged on a quarter if I said I was drinking a Fatcher's Cloudy Lemon. <laughs> you know, this is this is softer they give us to the babies. Uh, the <laughs> bar, so. I think that's why I drink it, man. <laughs> yeah. I've got sweet tooths. Yeah, got, anyone who knows, I've got a sweet tooth. So in the lockdown, we had great weather to me in the summer. So Lovely, like a barbecue or something. Fatcher's Lemon was a go-to. It's a, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm exactly like you, James. I'm I'm struggling to cope up there with a drink. And um, yeah, I, a, a Fatcher's curry lemons for me as well. I like a Fatcher's haze as well. That's got a bit of a bit, yeah, of, a taste. It's a bit, bit of a kick to it, that, hasn't it? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Oh, but it's 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 um, cracking tasting notes on a Thatcher's website with this one. Yeah, go on. Let's have a look. So Thatcher's claim this is the perfect balance of sharp notes from real lemons and sweetness from specially selected dessert apples. Oh. The juice from real lemon is added to a premium apple cider to create a zingy, refreshing, lemony flavour. It's quite reassuring they're using real lemons, in fairness. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that's, why, that's why you drink it, man. <laughs> oh, well, moving on to nutritional value. Uh, isn't they got this on you as well? Suitable for vegetarians and vegans. And this uh, gluten-free. Uh, James, you are the ultimate athlete, mate. <laughs> uh, and James already said this, but and they've gone. Uh, it's perfect for early evening drinks with friends in festivals, picnics, or barbecues. Ah, uh, outstanding. What more do you want? It's four percent, so it's probably the weakest one we've had on you. But uh, yeah. we'll but it's nice. It's nice to taste. Uh, I, I, I got mine in the fridge, boys. Wait there, don't grab one. Ah, oh, what a man! What a man! Have you 30 seconds, mate? All right, mate. We'll talk some shit for 30 seconds. Uh, so, Josh, um, some good feedback on the on the social uh, pod about the Devil's play- Playground, Benadon. Oh, but honestly, since we've done our pod, 
it's not left my mind bend on that no and the boys have put in the group and they put a couple of photos of our trips to Amsterdam and are in this uh it's very class turn into the camera from the hangover though isn't it? With him <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some things in there you didn't think were filmed you're looking at it like oh, no, let's let's put our away for uh for no one to see oh, I, think, um, I, think, I think everyone's itching for a for a tour to bend dominic yeah. Oh, yeah James, have you been to the Devil's Playground, Benadon? I haven't, no. Oh, James, you're missing out. Is it? Why you got a you got a trip booked, have you? We well every every other year with the cricket in September we uh we got a Benadon and we were doing a, a pod last week on the socials and we called Ben on the Devil's Playground. So uh we've been reminiscing the last week about it. So yeah. Oh, oh fair play. So uh, James Toss. Yeah, hey. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. I, I was going to have a dry January as well. I'll have a dry February now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't, Six Nations, you haven't. Oh, I, oh, next January. So, James, we talked about starting early. So, you start at Glenavon, um, same school as Josh. So, I know Josh has got a couple of questions through, but what did growing up, how much did local sport mean to you? Uh, do, do you know, I, I can't remember anything else, really. Like, obviously school days and that, but everything, if I was in school, you know, I remember the sport in school. Like, so, so I played football. So I started playing for Trevelyan Football Club with, um, you know, John Bird? Yeah, yeah. John Bird. So he was a hell of a coach. Obviously his boy played Ian Bird. So yeah. all the school boys in my school would play for Trevelyan. Um, and I used to love the football. So I played football on a, on a Saturday, rugby on a Sunday. And I used, I used to love it, honest to God. And, Never John Bird actually. It's, rugby is obviously my favourite, and if I'd sky up all over the crossbar, I can remember John Bird shouting, "James, too much rugby, my handsome boy." <laughs> That's all I can remember him saying. Like you know, but he was a great, great coach. So he used to love playing for Trevelyan. And I went when I moved from Central Primary School to Glenavon. A lot of boys in Glenavon and played for Baglen, like um, Matthew Keys, Andrew Davis, boys I guess who who. Who I was friendly with in school then, so it was a bit. I remember that being a big decision for me. I moved from Trevelyan to Baglen, um, but great time there playing for Baglen, um, along with obviously playing rugby then as well with Abraham Quinns, Abraham Juniors then when I went from the Quinns. And funny enough, I my coach, uh, Di Braga, you know, Di Braga, yeah, sweet coach us in Abraham Quinns, and I bumped into him in Mumbles a few months back, it was before the lockdown now. I was like, I hadn't seen him for years. Like, cheap, let's die. Up the neck. But, and uh, yeah, I, 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 sport was everything to me growing up. Yeah, and that's that's what you get with with sport and, and connecting, and even junior sport. You see people you haven't seen for years, and it's our instant connection again. And then it's, and that and that leads us on to we got two questions from a public which you've you've brought up. Which so Michael Gant has asked us. Does having to share the Talbot League and the 16s title with Trevelyan rank as his biggest sporting injustice? So, is that your biggest sporting injustice? What did he say? Well, I missed the first bit then, Ford. Does having to share the Talbot League and the 16s title with Trevelyan rank as your biggest sporting injustice? <laughs> it's got to be, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, but I, I remember all like, the football. I used to love the football, but it was only because like, I probably did prefer rugby. So, Football was on a Saturday, rugby was on a Sunday. Yeah. The rugby end moved then when you got like under 15s, 16s. It moved to a Saturday, so I had to make a decision. If it, if it was still on separate days, I'd have played for longer, probably football. But 
Oh, I used to love it, man. Like, Mike Case taking a mini bus round, flipping Glencaro, Chrysero, all over the place. Like, it was great, man. We used to have, uh, we used to have a thing called uh, Chrysero car when we were playing for Lido. There'd be a lot of dropouts on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Josh, I, I know you've got a couple of questions about Glenavon about um, multi-sports, so I'm going to I'm gonna just sit yeah, back. I was going to ask James, uh, in Glenavon, did you have Keith Hopkins and Big Steve? Yeah, yeah. They were there, yeah. They were, still, they were still there when I was there as well. I think oh, they, I mean, I think they were in the school by the end of it, I've got to be honest, them too. They yeah. Forever, Funny like. enough, I saw Steve Thomas and, and Moira, his wife, um, oh, that was about a month or two ago, walking yeah. around, uh, around Mumbles like that. Great, great people, innit? And I always just remember when they, every Tuesday they used to put the the team sheet up on the notice board outside board, the park. It, yeah. it was a red sheet of A4 paper. We used to go and check a few names on the team sheet, like, you know. If it wasn't, then you play L with Keith Hopkins, huh? <laughs> He's a couple of lessons, but you just see all the boys standing around the bench on this, uh, at this board. If you walked over, one of the boys turned around and going, oh, you never guess you're not in the team. He used to kick <laughs> right off then. Keith Hopkins' <laughs> office right next door, but yeah. banging on the door. But yeah, uh, down, in, down in Long Lens, it's freezing and windy down there, isn't it? Ridiculous, but we think we're the only school that had to travel half hour on a double decker minibus to get the old ground bus. Yeah, I remember. Um, balling back on the bus. Yeah. I remember a boys from Glenavon saying to me, "You said you you do know, like you got to we got to travel down to Longlands to um to train." I was like, I you can't figure that. I mean, it's in Joseph. We've got them big fields. I know. Again, Glenavon. Surely they got a pitch around Station Road somewhere, and then it's just nowhere. Obviously. If you, when you grow up a little bit more, you can understand that there's no pitch, pitch in station road. But you don't know, you artificial pitch a lot, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's oh, the... no, no, they're born, but. <laughs> you don't, do they? But I really, honestly, getting on the bus to play for Glenavon, you used to have a forwards and a back sat in separate uh, tiers on that bus going through moves in her head. <laughs> you never used to do in the training, but you used to nick a few from a Quinn's. So you use Fransford? What's that? Yeah. We do run a little bit of a, a move called France, but I can't remember. It's an old Crystal Carligan move, so uh, I can't yeah, remember. He, he it back and then uh, Scrum Half plays it back inside then? No, we did, it weren't that. We, we didn't. Now, was it? Yeah, no, no. We used to take, but, uh, no, but, so you said you uh, obviously played football as well, James. Would you say yeah. would you say playing multiple sports helped you achieve, you know, becoming a professional rugby player? I, I reckon, yeah, because... Like football and rugby, you know, similar, well, not similar, but they team sports. But then, like, uh, tennis, I used to love playing tennis. We talked about Glenavon. I used to love tennis week. Remember tennis week? Tennis week was yeah. So, it was an excuse to get out the lessons, really, but... <laughs> I, I did love sport in Glenavon. You were sound, weren't you, when it came to those weeks? Oh, you know, Keith Hopkins going, yeah, back <laughs> yeah. in tennis week, out you come. Oh, oh brilliant. So, I used to love playing tennis. So, like, that obviously helps, like, hand-eye coordination. To play a bit of cricket as well with um, with Patal, but in the summer, so like, yeah, I, I loved playing them, but like without even thinking about it, it, it probably helped my you know my hand eye coordination and just ball skills and things like that without, without even realizing. Like, As we talked about loads for me on the last couple. I think we spoke about it with like Daisy came on and Voice Mammy and I did about um, about playing sports, but like I think the common thing everyone's come back with is like developing social skills as well, wasn't it? Like when you're in school, as you said, James, earlier, like like when we think back to our school days, early days, that's all it was was sport. Yeah. So all I remember is all week we'd be playing sport. You train after school, play all weekend. I think the next one I was going to like just touch upon, we touched upon it with um, Avin Knight did, 
Like you see the football academies now. They start at such a young age, and they like. Yeah. Do you think? Um, you know, do you think that's a bit of a problem? Like, like we've said before, like like kids. Surely, a more positive thing would be to let them experience as many sports as they can. And obviously, when you get to the age of like say 15, 16, where you probably already know which sport you best at, which one you enjoy, then you split it into ring fencing them. But at the minute, it seems like there's a lot of sports that's trying to ring fence kids at such a young age. They don't experience like other sports. Then. Oh, it's nuts. Honestly, and like, so my eldest boy, Harrison, he's, um, he doesn't play, he might have put him off actually. He doesn't play hardly any football now, but he, he was with the Swansea Academy for a bit and um, I took him training every Tuesday down Landor. You weren't allowed in there to watch him train. That was one of my favourite things, like when you take him to watch to, to rugby or football, you want to watch him, didn't you? Yeah. You'd knock him off of the gate, it'd be an hour and a half, and I'd be sitting in the car, you know, wondering how he's getting on and don't give him a great deal of feedback. Um, and then the games on the weekend then, so because Swansea was one of, sort of the lower leagues in the Premier Premiership, one of the lower teams in the Premiership, sorry, They'd have to travel away everywhere. So Saturday morning, they'd be travelling up to to London most of the time or Manchester, which is great to go and see these Premier League clubs. But they wouldn't come down to Swansea, like so. You'd ask him, like she was eight, I think, at the time, seven or eight. He was jumping on a bus. We wouldn't jump on the bus with him, and he'd be four or five hours on a bus. And then the parents would be going in convoy behind, and you know it's a good experience, you know, for a little bit. But they wouldn't allow to play any other sports, and I. That, that probably was the end of it. I remember going to Bristol then. Um, it was freezing cold. They were playing against, um, I think it was Southampton in Bristol. I don't know why they were playing there. And it was freezing cold. He came off. He didn't even start the game. He said, oh, I want to go home. So I said, oh, I'll jump in the car. We went back. And, and that was it. And I don't think he's played football since. So I think, you know, he can go one or two ways. Obviously, there's loads of players who, who make it and love it and enjoy it. But I think, he didn't enjoy it that much, so it just sort of put him off then. Yeah. You said, well, like, at that age, in you know, seven, eight, it's full on, that is. As you said, you get dropped off by training by your parents. It's all behind closed doors. And then, obviously, the leagues are the way they are now. I, I, I'm just looking back forward. When we were that age, when the it was called School of Excellence, weren't they? Yeah. But I, but I can't remember their leagues being, you know, mirroring the Premier League, really. So yeah. I think, I think when, like, Cardiff and Swansea used to play each other, didn't they? Newport used to play, probably Bristol as well. I don't think he went much further than that. That's mm. probably the last ten years is coming to, you know, mirroring the Premier League or the teams around going all the way down to Southampton or London for an under eight game. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it was great going up to like we went to Tottenham's new training ground and I we had a look and it was, it was great. And like we got photos in there, which which you can never take away. But like I don't know, and we were all going up, like you said, about going up to Croyser, Oogling, Car, in the Mud, playing rugby, football, cricket. It's, that's what being a kid's all about, I think. Like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go on, Ford. And, and being in the experience of being in the age grade system, right? I think, I think rugby got it with their age, you've got it pretty spot on. Like, it's obviously you've got your 16s, but it don't, doesn't become really intense until that 18s academy level. And yeah. I think you are involved in a lot now as well. And I, it's for rugby, especially, and, and you've benefited from it. Play another sport. I play football. I did. I wouldn't have got my vision as a as a player from from playing rugby all my life. It was playing football, playing where's the space and behind, and that's where I got from from different sports. And I think sometimes some um, sports do try and bottleneck you, but I think rugby has got it. it. They haven't got it perfect. They're far from perfect, but they've got it to an extent where you think right, they've they're working it pretty well at the minute. Would you agree with that, James? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, I would. And like, I, 
I didn't play like tennis, cricket, and rugby and football. I didn't think, oh, I want to play these different sports to improve my ball skills. Just because I, yeah. I loved playing football. I loved like different mates in football, different mates in cricket, rugby, etc. And I wanted to go go there just to see see the boys more than anything and, and have a kick about like and you know it's it so obviously you improve with it then. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So obviously you you had a bit of a. You burst onto the scene a little bit. Obviously, we everyone knew about your your talents at Neef and 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 you were linked with the Ospreys. But am I you have to uh, clear this for me. Am I uh, right? You got your first cap before you got your first start for the Ospreys. Is it is that right or is it? Yeah, before yeah. yeah. So I'd had like one or two, I think it was two appearances off a bench. I think for the Ospreys, a couple of minutes. But yeah, yeah I started for Wales before I started for the Ospreys. Yeah, yeah. That's and and how. How did you deal with that as a, as a youngster? How did you deal with, like, you hadn't started for the Ospreys yet, but you got a phone call. Yeah. They, uh, James, you're coming to Argentina with, with Wales. How, how, how do you deal with that? Bah, it was nuts. Yeah, like, I, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it because, like you say, I I think it was May, June, I was finishing the season off with Neath in the Premiership, which which I love, by the way. Like, you know, and... They're probably not so big now, but back then, the crowds, we had like sort of three, 4,000 watching Neath in the same pro, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, I had a phone call from um, from Wales saying, oh, you know, you've been selected in the summer tour squad. That's when all the, the big boys, you know, were, were rested and, you know, you got a chance. So, like, brilliant. I thought, I haven't started for the Ospreys yet. I'd probably go all the tackle shields, like, get a bit of an experience. But I always remember Nigel Davis telling me, just before we left for Argentina and the Vale Hotel, he came across and said, oh, look, you know, you're coming on this trip and you're going to be playing. Like, you're not there to make up the numbers or any experience. Obviously, you're going to get experience, but you're there because I want to be playing. Like, I was like, flip the neck. All right. And then I got out there, I had my first cap. I was on the bench for the first test, got on. Yeah. I scored in that game and I started the second test then. And that, was, that was brilliant. Like, you know, But then I went... Um, I. Yeah, I, went, I was in the autumn squad then when all the other boys were back, like, you know? And that, yeah. that, was, that was unbelievable. Because like, in the space of six months, I'd gone from playing for Neath to, to playing in the Millennium Stadium, like. Yeah, and I, and I, my memory of watching I, mean, I was only, oh, I was bloody about nine or ten. I remember that you try, it seemed like you had a massive jersey on because they kept putting, they had the jersey quite long. They thought, Jesus Christ, there's no skin fit jerseys at that stage because they proper, um, they had him by the neck or something. And I think the game that people sat up and took notice is that Australia game when you came on. Um, and it was in a, one of our memories this week was the tackle on uh, Lottie Dakiri. Um, Jack Dacey's memory of just saying it's the first time you actually properly watch you play with, I think. The Quins knew that you were on the bench, and there was a lot of interest, and and that was his first time of seeing you, and and he put the Kiri on his ass when not many people done that in world rugby. So obviously that was that must have been a whirlwind through them four weeks because you became like you became Wales's because Stephen Jones got injured, you became Wales's number one choice out of half in the matter of of weeks, basically, wasn't it? A matter yeah, of weeks. and that's where like. I had my cap and like, you know, like you say, the, the big boys weren't there. So, you know, people sort of started to sort of get an idea of, you know, where I came from and that. But no one really takes as big interest in the summer tour as they do like the Autumn International Six Nations. And like you say, I, to be named in the squad first, where, you know, all the first 
team boys were involved was brilliant. And then I was named on the bench for that, and I was like, "Flipping heck, you know, this is going to be amazing." Just being at the stadium, sitting on the bench, singing the anthem with the kit and all that. I was just happy, like, to, know, to be involved in all that. And I remember rooming with Mike Phillips the night before because he was on the bench for me, and like, you know, it was just great, just being in the hotel, ordering milkshakes the night before, and just I don't know, just you know, I was only twenty, like, you know, so I was yeah. just living your dream. And then I remember it was twenty minutes in. Looking up with with Mike, thinking, you know, what, what are we doing here? Like this is bonkers. And then Steve goes down injured, and he, he'll give you the shout. Like, and oh, I don't know, I can't can't remember much about it, but yeah. I know we drew twenty nine all. Like, I can't really remember the tackle with Takiri apart from I like, got the clips looking back. Yeah, and then, yeah, from, from there after that game as well, like everything went bonkers. Like you know, there was like um, ITV went up with my my parents knocking my grandparents' door and. Asking for interviews, all that sort of stuff, and it was like stuff I just wasn't. It was just unheard of for me, really. I, I, what we were doing at twenty foot. <laughs> like spinning I mean, outside of York was an abrisk for her. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, I was doing at twenty. <laughs> I was in my uh, in my Batal Batal cricket clip, cricket kit, uh, dancing on a dance floor in the World Cup. I was, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that was me. Oh, it was a question I was going to ask later after uh, after we covered the rest, but you talk about that like that rise from going to the summer tour and then you coming back and all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, as you just said, the night before a game, you and Mike Phillips going, you know, what the hell are we doing better? And then yeah. all of a sudden you get injured and stuff. I was just, uh, just wondering, how do you deal with that like, psych- psychologically? Because obviously, like back then, like what support was there for you back then compared to what it is now? Because obviously like the mental health side of, of sport or, or just life in general is... Is at the forefront of the minute, but like, how much support a uh, few was there back then compared to how, how it would be now? Um, there was obviously all my family and stuff were, were great, and I suppose like any when everything's going well, it's, it's fine. Like you know, we don't we need too much support here. You know, you said, and my family were there, like Robert but Talbot boys. I think you know you try and stay quite grounded, and you know you don't forget your roots. My grandparents still live in Batalbot, my my family still live in Batalbot now, so like. You realise where you come from, like you know. So I try not to get too sort of carried away, and I think Lynn Jones was was massive for me as well because even after my first cap and my second cap in Argentina, like I say, I hadn't started for the Ospreys. You know, you think the natural thing is, oh, he's had a couple of caps, chuck him in. But I still had to fight for my place in the Ospreys. Like Sean Connor was ten, yeah. Ed was ten as well, and he sort of he looked after me. I couldn't really see it then so much as I can now, but like. He wasn't just chucking me in, you know, he was, he was pulling me back a bit and easing me in. So by the time I came to sort of the following Six Nations, you know, I was eased in nicely. It wasn't just like, you know, straight up and all the best, off you go, you know, you're on your own now sort of thing. Yeah. Did he give you any advice on uh, keeping him on you? Because obviously he's from Carmarthen, they, they're relatively known as tight. Uh, <laughs> any advice off Lynn about uh, looking after him, buddy? Nothing, but... <laughs> he's uh, he, talking about Lynn Jones, I think he's... He, doesn't get the credit he deserves, I don't think, on times. I think he was a great coach and, and now he's probably the loose, the only bloke who can uh, manage Russia because he's a loose cannon himself, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he, he, he was nuts. He was nuts. But, like, everyone loved him. You ask anyone who was coached by Lynn in that sort of era, around sort of 2007, 8, 9, 10, or whatever, whatever he, he, he left the Ospreys. And he won, like, two league titles or three league titles under Lynn. Yeah. Um, 
and he was doing good, great things there. Like he obviously left then, and we probably didn't have the success we once did in in Europe, which led to him going. But like, it was a tough team to manage as well. There's so many different characters in that team. It was nuts because you know you had all the Welsh boys who were characters in themselves, different boys, and then you had the New Zealanders, Marshall, you know, Stefan de Blanche from South Africa, yeah. Matt Yola, Fila Tiatia, and I, I thought you know he, he was brilliant, and he probably. Probably went a bit too early, to be fair. Yeah, I agree. I think he was he was outstanding, and like he's probably one of the only blokes who could manage us. Like Sean, Sean Ollie done a great job when he was there, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, Steve Tandy, but I think in if if you had to put a loose goose involved in Russia, you'd say <laughs> John Stefley. Oh, he, he was loose, man. He was loose. But sure, yeah, Sean was brilliant as well. He led the defence when Lynn was there, and yeah. Yeah, it was great, great times. Like that was my favourite time probably in my club, my club career was that first time I was in the Ospreys. Brilliant. Yeah, and you just named you rolled off some of the names there. You've got like Marty Hall, I think, is probably one of the best sevens in the world and he didn't get yeah. as many caps as he deserved. And um you've got Marshall, you've got Derek Blanche, you've got Gavin Henson and, and the great Jerry Collins and, and people like that. And you think, bloody hell, that these people were playing in a team in the middle of Swansea, and you think, yeah. was is that just not a regret? But do you think uh, what would it? It's such a good group. That something in Europe, if you would won a European Cup, would I have like said, yeah, that's what we deserve as a as a group? Because I think some of the rugby the Ospreys played and some of the most famous victories are in Europe. But do you think we we kind of should have won a European Cup? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was our best chance in 2009, I think it was, against um, Biarritz. Biarritz, yeah. We got yeah. lost to the court. There's like probably referee indecision and and little little small margins that cost us a game, really. But um, yeah, if, if we'd have won that, we'd have had a home draw against Munster. And, and you would have fancied us, like you said, with the names you just mentioned. We had a hell of a squad, but yeah, we, we, we would have fought ourselves, really, because we, we were in control of that game for the majority of it and just let it slip. Like, But... Um, yeah, we went after losing to to uh, be a rich, we went on then to sort of regroup and win the league again. So, like, yeah, we had a great squad, but so many good memories there. Josh, I feel like I've taken over this part a bit. God, any questions? Good, but <laughs> I was uh, just thinking, is it, is it time for us to move on to the uh, the semi final, fella? I was telling folk before coming on, I said my, me- my first memory of that semi final coming back was. I was in uni up in Aberystwyth and we had an away trip um, in Bucks game on a weekend and we were in a minibus on the way and Radio 1 were doing some sort of World Cup special so I think one of the boys texted and they ended up bringing us back saying oh if, if you're a group of Welsh boys do you, do you mind ringing in like I'm having a chat so so I was like yeah go on I'll have the phone so um, I was speaking to Edith Bowman I think and there was some absolute scandalous flirting going on with Edith Bowman <laughs> so if she's listening I'm single now so <laughs> if you want to reignite that romance, we can uh, crack on. But they were they were asking about uh, like score predictions and stuff. And I remember I, think I was talking. I was I was going. Uh, you know, I'm from a tall, but James Hook someday he's going to run a show today. Wales being a straight to the semi final, and then we stopped yeah. in Wine Street nine o'clock in the morning, sat at the breakfast and a pint, watching uh, watching what happened. But I mean, for to say, obviously that semi final is remembered for like Sam Walton getting sent off early. We were saying like a lot of people forget that Adam Jones got injured in the first ten minutes, didn't he? And yeah, we, yeah. And we were just saying like, like looking back at that game, 
like which do you think was a bigger point in that game? Was it, is it Adam Jones going off that early, or obviously the big one with Sam like getting sent off after was it twenty minutes? Was wasn't it? Yeah, they, they were they were big things, but like there was loads of different things. You know, like I missed a couple of kicks, other boys missed kicks. Like I, I every time I think of that, I just think I blame myself. Like you know, like there was loads of different things went on, and like you talk about the high points in in my career, that that is the lowest point by far. Like, and you probably ask everyone in that squad at the time, it was because we were so close, even with everything we just spoke about went on in the game, we still only lost by a point and we should have won. It, was, it wasn't the best French team by no means. Like, you know, they just feel like it should have been us in our final and, and New Zealand weren't playing at their best. You know, they no. had loads of injuries and it was there for the take-in. So we talked about the Europe with the Ospreys. That's uh, an opportunity missed and, yeah, but, you know, you take take a rough and smooth, isn't it, you know? But no one, no one feels it more... And the players, like, like I, before I started playing for Wales, a well Welsh supporter, when I was still playing for Wales, you know, I was a supporter, and, now, and I still am now, and, you know, no one feels it more than the players, like, you know. And I think, also, I, me and Josh can, not not on that extent of that, we haven't played in as big as games now, we haven't been fortunate enough to, but we, if if you if you're a player, even when Josh loses a game for the Talbot, or we lost a game for the Quins, or I lost, like, I think the closest I could I could say to that is when I got charged down last play for Swansea on Scrum Five, and uh, Gus didn't look at me for about a week. But um, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, and and it is, and and I think, and that's what breaks me sometimes when the supporters say, "Oh, the players don't feel it." They bloody do. You're playing for your country. You're playing for your your team, and and with the Ospreys, you're playing for your local region, and. Players feel it more than anyone, and and that's why I don't like. That's one of the problems with social media that the players know they've, if, if like if they've lost the game, they've known they lost the game. They don't need a thousand people telling them that they've lost the game. You know, you know what I mean? I think yeah. the way you handled that and the return of the Welsh side after that was was superb. And I'll uh, I'll just say where I was uh, on that on that. World Cup semi-final morning because uh, I won't mention some of their names because they probably won't want to know because they got wife and kids at these times. But uh, <laughs> I was playing for the Avrao Green Stars youth. We were playing Morriston in the sec- in the afternoon, but some of the senior players didn't have a game, so they were on the smash from about eight o'clock and they'd watch the game. And all the youth players had gone. Let's go for some food before we meet back in the club at twelve o'clock. So as we were walking back into the club, it was a pretty sunny day. It was a lovely day, to be fact. And as we were walking into the club, five boys, including one of the boys who mine and Josh's good mates, was jumping in the boot of a taxi. And at 12 o'clock on the Saturday afternoon, they were going to Studio 95. So they'd had a good uh, good morning watching Wales. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a bit of a legend story. Aaron. So they know who they are, but I'm not going to mention that because, like I said, some of my wife and kids these days, so they don't want to be reminded of it. <laughs> is that... what... Go on, sorry, Josh. No, sorry. Is that semi-final something you still think about, James, or is it something you're sort of at peace with now? Oh, sorry when you fucking bring it up, boys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, do, do you know what? Like, I, yeah, I don't think about it all the time. No, I got to be honest. Like, initially, it took you talk about like you know the downs and like you know mental health and all that. Like, and I probably struggled with it for a bit after because as soon as I finished, uh, sorry, as soon as the World Cup finished, I said signed before the World Cup to go to Perpignan in France. So. Just got knocked out to France, and then you got to go and play your rugby in France. And so I was, I wasn't dreading it. I was thinking, ah, oh, flipping it, you know. But then actually, it's probably a good thing, you know. I, I 
was out of Wales for a bit and you know it's like rugby wise you know it's a goal fish bowl so I just got away you know it didn't mean, mean so much to them in, in France really that that you know I'd missed a few kicks or we'd lost it, and it was just a new fresh start for me so it, it actually looking back it was a perfect time for me to go go and play in France and um, it took you know it took a few games to get over it and you've just built a conference up then by playing a couple of games like in my second my second game my first game was a way in Toulouse and I played you know pretty well like you know so that sort of built my confidence up and then second game which was my first home game for, for Perpignan I won man of the match and then all of a sudden you realise you know it just wasn't to be in a semi-final for whatever reason you, you haven't changed as a player and then you just take it step by step then and I think that's the key you just got to plow on like you know and in a career of 15, 16 years wherever I play the game it's never going to be plain sailing straight up you know it was bumps in the road and that was a, that was a massive bump to be honest, but yeah, you just you just get on with it, boys. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and we'll talk about um, the French experience uh, later on. Um, just to, just to, we you couldn't go past it without talking about Wales. Well, these you obviously won uh, two Grand Slams. You were uh, in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, and and that championship. Um, which probably is is one of the most, especially in the supporters' mind, that game against England is probably one of their favourite days in their history. Um, what was what was it, the build up to that Grand Slam game or Championship game and being in Cardiff? How did that feel for you as a Welshman going in there knowing you could win a Grand Slam for your country? Oh, the, which one? The 2013 one, now? Yeah, we, yeah, whatever one. But let, let's we'll we'll go to we. To, this is probably the most patriotic one because we're playing England. Um. What was it like in that build-up to the English game? Uh, the well, in 2013, like we were going, like England were going to win, going for the Grand Slam, I think, weren't they? Yeah. And we yeah. were going for the championship, so, but we had to win by, I can't remember how much it was now, but it was yeah, We point. had to win by seven points with it. I, I, there I, were, there were, and then, like, obviously we won 33, and I was on the bench for that game, I came on towards the end, but, like, just sitting there, never heard, the roof was shut, and because of the way we won the game and like how we went, we, people knew we had a good chance. England had a good good team as well, so everyone thought that oh, I'd be you know within predictions, we were within sort of three four points. You know, didn't know which way he was going to go, and the way he did goes, the place was rocking. It was it was crazy. It was crazy. It was, and always England games like that. To be fair, but because of what was on the line and stopping England winning it, we us winning it. You know, it just that oh, was brilliant. And you've you've had a bit of a, a quite a great time against England. You've got a couple of tries against them. And talking our last games in the Millennium, going back to 2007, you saved us from having a wooden spoon and having a man of match performance against England. So from whatever happened after that, you you were going to be a, a Welsh legend because one who stopped us winning a wooden spoon and, and you had a man of match performance against England. So uh, you know, I would have retired after that. I would have. I you should have really, shouldn't I? But, uh, but, uh, no, I remember that thing, the game 2007, like you say, because we I played 12 right the way through the campaign, and then Steve got injured uh, for the last game, so like it was my preferred position 10. So like they said, you know, Nigel Davis and Gareth Jenkins said, you know, we're going to play you at 10, and obviously we knew what was on the line. Obviously, we didn't want to win the wooden spoon, and again, England at that time had a great team, like Jason Robinson, um, who was a Charlie Hodgson was playing at 10. There was lo- loads of quality players. Boys would be involved in that 2003 World Cup for England. So, yeah, to win that game was brilliant. And again, the atmosphere, I remember there, was was unbelievable. Yeah. 
And on, on that topic again, Twickenham the year after, that must have been special, that uh, win Gatlin's first game. Yeah, that was special because I didn't get any ex- expectation, like, because we just got knocked out of the World Cup uh, 2007, Gareth Jenkins got sacked, it was Gatlin's first game, and to be honest, he didn't have a clue about any of us, really. So he picked the 13 Ospreys because the Ospreys were doing well and thought, you know, go on, boys, let's have a look at you sort of thing. And we were getting hammered first half and it was almost like sort of how many points are England going to put on us? Like how many keep them down to? And it's, I didn't know what happened second half, but England just, it's just imploded really. And then we, we just sort of, everything clicked for us. And yeah, Mike scored a try, uh, Burley scored a try and yeah, we were in touching distance and we ended up winning. Like and yeah. from there the confidence in the squad was through the roof and we ended up winning the Grand Slam. And, yeah. and I think I don't know if Josh would agree with this, but it's great winning in the millennium against England, but a, a win against Twic- uh, England against Twickenham. Um that's pretty special as a Welsh supporter. Josh, would you agree? Yeah, I think you'd have to agree with it. As you said, I, I, to be honest, you take a win down. The long lens when he was against England, <laughs> in fairness, like, but against Dufferin, like, <laughs> a very, a very close win against Dufferin and winning against England. But um, no, definitely, I think, yeah, when the Millennium Stadium is quality, but I think when, uh, yeah, when you turn England over in their own backyard, it's, uh, it's a bit better, isn't it? Yeah, it was nice because everyone's banging on the one there for twenty years and all that, and it was just nice you could pull out the bed, like you know. Yeah. So you in two thousand nine, you went on the uh, on the Lions tour. Um, I have my my reservations about uh, your appearances in in the test series, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into them. But what was your experiences like playing for the Lions? Oh, I I loved it, and to go on that tour, like you grow up as a young boy, you want to play for Wales and all that. You never think it'll happen, and then when you do, you, you obviously start dreaming then of of Lions tours, and you watch the DVDs like of '97 Lions, which is one of the best rugby yeah. documentaries still out there. Um, so old school, but just like amazing, amazing documentary. And you just, oh, it's a dream, isn't it, to be involved? So, when I was called, Ian McGeechan rang me up and asked me to go on, on the toys. I was over the moon, like, you know. But yeah, like you say, was, I played in, I think it was seven games in total. I was on the bench for the last test. And yeah, I still gutted, like, you talk about the 2011 disappointment. And I was gutted, it was the only replacement that wasn't used. Yeah. Uh, and I grew 19 points up, I think it was. Like, you, we battered Safiga towards the end in that game. And I, to be honest, you know, I, I don't think it was a coach's thing where he probably thought, it's not put him on. I reckon they just forgot, like, you know, they forgot it was on the bench, get carried away with the, with the win. And yeah, so it didn't get on, which was which was obviously kept in. But um, I had a great tour. I loved it. I think, uh, I think we've, we spoke about it before, Josh, and, we, and I was like, we, we've, we mentioned you and said, oh, that's, it's, a, it's criminal how you couldn't go on when you, especially. When he went in twenty eight nine, but talking about people out there, Andy Powell, a bit of a character. Oh, he's brilliant. He made that tour, man. He made it. And if you watch a DVD, like he's at the yeah. forefront of it all. Like he's um, so he fronted up the midweek team, and uh, he's like, you know, like it was similar. To, I d- obviously didn't go on the tours previous before ninety seven, but like it, it was similar to that. Like it was pretty old school. In fairness to Gatlin, like you know, uh, think what he wanted him as a coach or whatever. But as like a Boys going out and enjoying themselves, you say, like, you know, put the work in, boys, and go out. And, and that's what that tour was. And, like, when we were there seven, eight weeks, uh, and you've got a you know, group of four different nations coming together, and you need to click quick. 
you know, that's that's the way to do it. Like go out and have a few beers and, and get together. And yeah, all the boys not tour are really tight knit. Like I suppose, especially probably the last couple of the ones coming up now, it's, it's probably not that easy to do that now, is it? As you just said, the old school sort of go for a few pints, purely due to the amount of um like Forty mentioned earlier, new like the social media platforms that are around now and everything. Um yeah. So what do you say, like that 2009 tour? Do you think I, do you think that was probably sort of the last, sort of as you just said, the old school sort of feel to to Alliance tour since then? So obviously the game's gone like you know ultra, ultra professionally since then, sort of thing. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I think the boys do. You know, they still have a drink and they just do it in, you know, behind closed doors or where you know there's not so many so many people. Like you know, and they still enjoy each other's company. But you say you've got to be careful now, but. Yeah, I reckon it's definitely changing. Like I can see it from from the start of my career to when I finished. Like you know, the, the generation coming through, they just you know, and it's just more professional, though, isn't it? You know, but like singing a song on the bus, like you know, everyone when I first started, they knew a song. You had to have a song. Now the boys are getting up, they pull their phones out, they got the lyrics yeah. on their phone, they don't know the words, and they're like oh, it's just a waste of time, man. Did you did you find out when you went back? Did is that when? You went back to the Ospreys, you kind of realised that you, you, you've you had a pretty long career when you went back to the Ospreys and realised it's not where you left kind of thing, Do you, as in you're a bit more of an experienced uh, player now. Yeah, uh, oh, it was completely different when I came second time. There's obviously a few of the, the boys still there, but um, oh, there's still some really good boys, but it's, I think it's it's not an Ospreys thing or a Wales thing. It's, like, yeah, it's exactly. in general, it's just professional it's changed, like you know, you know. But I, I still love it. Now, as like doing the coaching, the Ospreys. I've like, got the kit man there, Sean, who's uh, the kit man. You know, get on really well with him. And we got John along with rugby set up in his kit room. So after this, <laughs> we go in and have a three test series there. And oh, I love all that. So there's still some characters left there, like you know. The um, Toby Booth has done a pretty good job there. Any of them, and he's, he's from the outside. He looks like he's turned around a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's really good, Toby, and like the other coaches he brought in as well, Brock and um, Richie Pooh's there. And, yeah, he's brilliant, I think. It's just what you need, because the last couple of years before this year was, well, the worst I've seen it, like, you know, with obviously the merger stuff and losing Tandy and then losing Alan Clark and going through so many coaches and just needed that stability. Like, so with Toby Booth in there now and um, obviously the, these guys come in, um, James Yandel taking over the club like it's, yeah. it just feels like there's a bit of stability yeah, now you know yeah, Josh any any questions I know you've just gone up to get another beer but... I have made I've just uh, I, I snuck in as the as, as the questions have been asked we haven't, uh, we haven't done a toast yet Josh we'll have to have a toast to, to the Wales-England game 30 points of free well, and... I was uh, I was in Abris with SC with the, surrounded by English I was so cheers, <laughs> yeah. uh, cheers James cheers boys I was actually, I ended up in the Red Lion on Station Road singing karaoke at, I was about 16, 17 at the time. Um, <laughs> Everyone yeah. remembers where they, where they are, like different games. I try to remember 99 when Scott Gibbs scored in Wembley. Yeah. We were on, I think it was, no, it couldn't have been Abraham Quinns. It was Abraham, was it Abraham Juniors, like our tour? And uh, we were in England, like Burnham on Sea or something like that, in the Caravan Park, and all of us are packed in the clubhouse there with all the bandits and stuff. And, uh, What's on the big screen? Like no one gave us a whole back end, did they? And then Gibbs yeah. went over. The place erupted. You knew where all the Welsh were then. You don't, yeah. And it's like you don't remember the game. You just remember, oh, I was there. Then, yeah. Then <laughs> you remember the full day, but you don't remember the game. You're like, oh yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. 
Just remember Gibbs going with the trailer and, and paints in the air, so. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, it is something special and, uh, when Wales do well in rugby. It's, uh, and you've been involved in probably one of the more successful times um, in, in Welsh history. And so you've been, you've been involved in a lot of them. I was there moments. And so look, me and Josh have spoken about this a couple of times and, and you won 81 caps. And, and obviously we've said you're the 13th all time in the Welsh list. But from, from, um, especially from a Batalba point of view, because it's very, um, it's quite a heated discussion that you deserved a lot more of the caps and, 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 Deserve to play a lot more. Do you do you have any reservations about your Welsh career at all? Or uh, I think if you you ask any player, you ask Alan Jones, like or maybe not Alan Wynn because he's maximised everything you know in his career. But like his his boys with under caps, you know, if you look at Stephen Jones, yeah. boys like that and got under caps. They'd probably say they'd probably say they you know could have achieved more, had more, gone on another line or whatever. Like you know, so. It's easier to say that, but uh, yeah, probably it could have, you know, those games they didn't get on, like the top of the Lions game, or didn't get picked for, or sort of a 23-man squad and maybe wasn't selected in what it probably should have, but I don't know, it's easier to look back, and it's, it's probably loads of players I can think that as well, like, so I don't I don't uh, hang up on it, like, you know. Yeah. And that weren't like to say, oh, do, do, do you feel like you should have done it? Well, that was a kind of a, from us, that we felt that, you should be picked more than than what you were, and we and we've spoken about that, and we Josh about kind of things, and we it's nothing to say. Oh, I did James didn't fulfil his potential. It was just like we we think, especially in Batalba, that you deserve to play more. The coaches deserve, should have picked you more, and and it would have been beneficial for them if they picked you more. It was yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I think like sometimes it was my own fault as well, like you know, but it's, it didn't help sometimes where. I'd be playing 12 for the Ospreys. I'd be coming into Wales then. And like, so Six Nations, I always go back to Six Nations. I think it was 2011 where I played the first game against England at 15. Then I I moved to uh, to 10, I think, and played against Scotland. I thought, oh, I played really well now. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. just try nail a 10 jersey down. I thought I'd have a run of games at 10. And then John, John and Davis, John Fox went down injured before the, the Italy game. So I had to move to 13 then. So I played 13. So like three different games, I played three different positions in the Six Nations. So I couldn't get any sort of continuity then. So and at times then, I didn't perform. So it was my fault. So, you know, it's easy then for the coach to say, you know, you're not picked. Like, so I don't know. Like I said earlier, boys, you, you take the rough for the smooth, don't you? I think we said just for coming on forward to me, we, we were just talking about that. Like, we were saying, like, obviously he was so talented in, in a number of positions. Do you think... Like on the flip side, of that do you think that might be the downfall sometimes? That because you were so talented at different positions, as you just said there, when you had to play a twelve, you got pushed to twelve. If you had to go back to ten, you were pushed back to ten. It, it was sort of as if you know you covered a lot of positions so well that you were just put in that position, though you know like where needed sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it probably it probably did help me get in the squads. Like you know, if I was fit, I was playing pretty well. I was in and around the well squad more often or not, just because I could cover those like four different positions in the back line. But then, yeah, it's because I wasn't playing each position regularly enough, probably. Um, yeah, you know, you probably didn't get picked as much then, you know. And I was playing majority of my rugby with the Ospreys at 12. But then around the Gatlin era, Jamie Roberts, if he was fit, there was going to be no one else playing 12. 
yeah. I don't like, you know, so regardless of the way I played, there's never, okay, I might have played a couple of games at 12, but I was either playing 13 or I'd play 10 or I'd be behind Stephen Jones at 10 or I'd be moved to fullback. And fullback was my least favourite position, even though obviously I'd rather play 15 than be on a bench. I, I, I didn't particularly like fullback. You just weren't in the game as much, the way the game the game plan was played. And you felt you just kicking a lot more than, than you were attacking, which I liked, like, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we, and that's that's great. And we we me and Josh were kind of what of nice. Do we do we ask you know, because we felt that you're such a talented rugby player, and and we were kind of like, D- does he want to go there or not? And it, to have to have our explanation, brilliant for us. And we're going to move on now to um, to your little French experience and. Uh, Perpignan, and I think if if we asked any rugby player what should they try and do, it would either be playing France or playing England, and you've done both. So Perpignan, um, have you heard Danley talk about that that year in Perpignan and you were involved in there? They're a bit of a crazy bunch, aren't they? Uh, the French. Ah, uh, we had we had we talked with the Ospreys team. It was some great players in our Perpignan team. My first year, I got there. You know, there were French internationals there, like. Maxi Memo's playing 12, um, David Marty 13, uh, Henry Tualangi then, who was just a monster, was playing eight. And we had boys like from, from Tonga, from Romania, uh, all over the shop. And it was, it was, I don't know, describe the experience. It was something I'll never forget. And like, I remember signing because I, I was playing with the Ospreys. I was playing well. I, I was loving my time in the Ospreys, but it was, it was an opportunity for me financially, if I'm honest, to go out there and, you know, it was a short career to go and try and make a bit of money and experience a different culture. And I remember speaking to the Welsh managers went and saying, you know, if I go there, will I, you know, still be you know able to play for Wales? And, you know, it didn't stop me, but probably didn't help, even though I said it, you know, it wouldn't stop me. Um, but anyway, going out there was, was brilliant. And I remember signing my contract in the Vale Hotel. And when I signed... I was driving back to the house and I was thinking, what the hell have I done here? I was, I'm going to France. I am left, but Talbot, like, you know, I've been <laughs> East College, probably about as far as I've been. Like, you know, because I'm going to play in France for three years. I'm going to clue with the language. But I signed and I was it, like, you know, so I was a nervous sort of eight to nine months waiting. And I just sort of wanted to get out there then. But once I got out there, the support, i got to be honest, like, there was like a guy who basically sorted everything for me and um, Kim, my wife, and I had my one boy, I've got three boys now, but my eldest boy, Harrison, he was with us. And the guy who helped us with the house, sorted everything from like the broadband, bank, there's all that sort of stuff he was taken care of. So it just made it so much easier to settle in. And uh, so many boys there spoke English as well. So just uh, just made me settle in you know, really quick. And then obviously I, the main thing I wanted to do was get out there, play a couple of games and, you know, it's like getting out there training and playing together. You get to know each other so much better, like have a few drinks yeah. and that. And within, you know, a week or two, a couple of games in, I was settled. Like, you know, it was brilliant. And my missus enjoyed. And uh, my my boy, my eldest boy came back, you know, we were there three years speaking fluid French. And But yeah, the, the, the French are nuts, man. It's, it was nuts because there's so much pressure on a home game. You, you wouldn't believe it. Like, and then... You go away from home and they'd be happy with a, with a losing bonus point, like you know. Yeah, and I, I've I've heard like Dalio mentioned that 
even if you lost the game sometimes, like the restaurants wouldn't let you in. If you went for food, the restaurants would be like waving you away if you lost at home or something, stuff like that. They oh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, like it'd be vice versa then. Or when you win, like, you know, you'd be, the, there's a lot of beach bars there, especially, you know, in the summer and stuff. And there was restaurant owners, like, you know, the teller players after the game would be down the beach and, and they'd put like, it was almost like a banquet, like, you know, like a wedding spread, like oysters a lot. They'd have a table laid out, they'd have a drink. They'd have the pumps out yourself and like you'd have run run to the place, like, you know. It was bonkers. But anyway, you say if you lost, you could tell like people like they wouldn't be so talkative to you and just only because he's so passionate, like, you know. But like I say, the away games I couldn't grasp it really because you go away from home and it was almost like it, they weren't fussy. Like if you if you won, we beat Beerits, right? We were bottom of the league, which doesn't sound like a big, big win, but the president came in, it was a, it was a crap game. He was hammering down the rain. He was running by a couple of points. The president comes in. Boys, keep the kit. You know, it was a great win. They were like, just beat bottom the league. Like, we had just won above them. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know. But, Josh, uh, jo- Josh yeah. going to enjoy the free beer. He's, he's as tight as a submarine door, Josh. <laughs> he did straight on to it. Got to do what you got to do, Ford. Yeah, true. <laughs> I was about to say, but that sounds like the club in the summer, that. There's a few winners. Yeah, yeah. If we win at all. No one talks to you. If, if we win at all. Go on, Ford. If we win at home in Baton, we're on a three day bender. <laughs> like, you know, we lost to Newport one year, got nine points. We were all in uh, welcome tops off, jumping up and down. We nine points. Count them to four o'clock in the morning because we, we've got nine points out of a loss. But I know Dick Darren Payne and, and Richard Davis and um, Michael Neese came out to France. They, they uh, came out for the weekend like, and oh, they loved it, man. Yeah, so I think Josh has got a uh, question about the French. You, Josh? Uh, yeah, I was always talking talk to one of my uh, one of my mates. He's a massive bar fan. He is follows all all the rugby, like. But um, you know, he messaged me earlier. He was he's wondering. I do a new time in France. Was there a big difference between like match preparation with the French compared to the Welsh and English clubs? Uh, yeah. The one thing that I didn't like was um, like I, I I'm an early bird usually, like so. I'm usually sleeping by nine o'clock, something like that, you know, and um, the kickoffs, most of them, especially Friday nights and a lot of Saturday kickoffs were quarter to nine. So you'd have to wait all day. And like, I didn't like waiting around in hotels for games and stuff, but even if it was playing home, uh, there was a hotel, literally, it was less than 100 metres from my house, and that was like the team hotel, yeah. or one of the team hotels in Perpignan. And we'd have to meet there, 11 o'clock in the morning. The game, bear in mind, that was quarter to nine in the night, get there, have food, and then we'd have to stay in the hotel. And as a team, like my house was like 100 metres away, where, you know, Kim, my wife, and my boy Alison were. And we'd have to stay there and just be around the squad and the boys would go for a siesta and that. And I couldn't sleep in the day. I still can't sleep in the day now. Like, you know, just, yeah. So I'd just be hanging around. The hotels, it wasn't the best. Like, you just sit in there, twiddling the thumb, turn the TV on, and you can't understand the word. So you just, like... I didn't like that about the, the match preparation, but um, yeah, each their own. Like you know, they they did it that way, and I was that with a buy into it. Like, but um, another thing which was tough as well was talking about away games. It was the bus trips we bust everywhere apart from Paris. So bus was like seven eight hours, and then we'd always come back on the same night. So again, if it was a nine o'clock kickoff, a quarter to nine, the game would finish, you know, you done your after-match meal, you'd done by half 11, 12 o'clock, and you straight on the bus then, you know, you want to go to sleep, and the bus wasn't great. They spend all their budget on on players, not on, like, 
the bus and stuff. So you'd have like a flipping Ken Hopkins bus driving back, like, <laughs> and uh, we'd, uh, yeah, it'd be, and the worst thing was, if it was like a seven, eight hour trip, there's only one bus driver, so his tachograph would be up, wouldn't he? So he'd have to have his 45 minute break. So he'd be like an hour from Purpany on, and he'd have to stop then and have like a 45 minute break. And like, oh God, she'd be getting home, and tw- the birds be tweeting. You'd be knackered and you'd be back in training Monday morning, then. Sounds it's like a bus to Torford. Yeah, like, just like walking on. You get you get home from tour, no one's talking, everyone's like, oh fuck, I can't be doing this. Can't be doing this. I'm long left. Yeah. It's, all of you. I don't want to see you for at least another two months. Yes. I, I think especially in Purple, you know, because that's a bit of a rugby mad place, and you think there's so much pressure on the rugby team and and you get Absolute president who are cowboys, and I think I it's a, it's a different world there. It's only a couple of hours on a flight, there's a different world to play there. And, um, what, what would you take if, if you had to take anything out of playing in France? What would you take out of that? As in, like, uh, first, I just thought every time I think of poop, you know, I just think of the home games there, like you talk about the. I've never played like professional football or you know in front of mad football fans, but if I was to think about that, I would think of Perpignan, on like you know because that's the supporters are bonkers with the drums singing from from start to finish. I'd be out there practicing my kicking before the game, and they're there already. And like it was just um, it was only fourteen thousand stadium, but like the, the nickname of the stadium was was the Bull Ring because it was like raised and it was obviously like a, like a Bull Ring, obviously and. Um, I just remember, we, no, we hardly lost. Like, and the, the mentality of the fans, you say, you could you could lose away from home to bottom of the league one week, and you can come home then because the atmosphere and everyone's so pumped and there's so much pressure on your home games. You could beat top of the league, and the amount of times we beat Claremont, Toulouse, um, teams like this were top of the league in in Perpignan was ridiculous. Like, you know, just because of the atmosphere and how pumped everyone, the old town was building up to the game and stuff, it was amazing. Yeah, and moving on for one set of crazy fans, uh, you decided to sign for uh, Gloucester and formerly they're famously known for the shed. So, yeah, uh, uh, Gloucester it, it seems like a pretty pretty special place to play when you when you're doing well. Yeah, it wasn't like I don't know where the Gloucester sort of wanted to sign me the year before because Perpignan played Gloucester in the Heineken Cup, and we went down there and we just lost, but I, I had. Um, I think I'd managed to match that game. So, like, we'd, we'd gone well. And then Purpino and I got relegated the following season. Um, so, I, to be honest, I'd re-signed. And I was so happy in Purpino. I, I would, would have stayed another three years. But these things just didn't work out. So, then there's an opportunity yeah, for me to go to, well, either back home to Wales or, or the Premiership. And a few English clubs sort of came in. And I was like, well... Why not try? Like, if, no, I know what the Ospreys and that league's about. Uh, I didn't really want to go to another French club if I wasn't going to stay in Perpignan. So I thought, yeah, go to Gloucester. And actually, it was Nigel Davis, who he was coach of Gloucester yeah, yeah. at the time. And he, he put the connection in to sort of get me there. And then he got sacked from yeah. Gloucester. So when I heard he got sacked, I was like, flipping out. well, do they still want me? And then luckily enough, you know, they still still wanted me. And then I loved it, like, because obviously, Another patal, but boy, Hibbard, he'd signed there just before I'd signed. So I was linking back up with him. 
Um, Greg Laidlaw was coming in. We had some really good players that signed that year. So, yeah, it was, it was great. And like you said about the shed, like you talked about going out, warming up, kicking. The shed are there, packed the rafters because like there's obviously no seats. They're standing. Everyone had their preferred spots and like they had to get there early to get their preferred spot. Like, so it'd be full two hours, hour and a half before game. Like, yeah. Josh, anything about uh, any questions about Gloucester and uh, beer and cider? They, they're pretty, pretty um, famous on a cider. My, my mouth, I got the marbles in my mouth again. Stoneford Press, isn't it? Yeah, all the old Stoneford Press. Uh, I won't be able to touch her. I can't touch a factor. I love the Stoneford Press. No, you said you touched on, but they're um, obviously with their bad being, that, uh, being there. Does that help you settle in a lot quicker than you needed? Or, or is it a fact like coming back home to sort of you know, like Britain, did that be settling you know, sort of naturally, or or did have you know having someone you knew quite well already there? Oh, you probably made it worse, man. You've been tortured, me. <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, like Ibs was brilliant, and um, like we, we and Glen Avon together, obviously played in the Ospreys together with Wales, and then um, of course it was like it was it was brilliant Ibs being there because just made me settle, and like at that point anyway, because I'd been to France, I'd done that, you, you know. A country where I couldn't speak a language, didn't know anybody. I felt then like it didn't matter where I went then, like you know. And when I did go to Gloucester, obviously Hibs being there and uh, a few of the English boys who would I'd met through playing for Wales and against England and stuff I'd knew of. And um, yeah, it was so easy to settle there. And we, we struggled a bit actually the first six months or so with Gloucester because again there's so many good players and new signings. There was a lot of expectation. We probably didn't deliver in the league especially for the first six months. But then we ended up winning the, the European Challenge Cup that year, which was, was brilliant, a great experience. And I know it's the second tier European competition, but once you get to the quarterfinal stages and knockout stages, it's a great competition to be involved in. Like, you know? uh, just a question, actually, from uh, Mr. Inberg. He's asking, <laughs> is he? Yeah, he's told me, why do they call him the Count or Mr. T- Mrs. Tickles? It, that's what I mean about him torturing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, he's he's the only one that calls me Tickles, and it's because my long arms and legs, like you know, Mister Tickle and the Mister Men. <laughs> but I think that's why he calls me. No, anyway. he might be something else. <laughs> and also, why do they call him the Count? I have no idea. I do not know. He thinks it's funny. I didn't, no one knows he's on about man. <laughs> Very uh, it's well not, played. It's, it's not the Count from Sesame Street, is it? It might be. I haven't seen it. I um, that, no. that was very well played with a straight bat, that was, Mr. Hunt. <laughs> He's a nightmare, though, I, I, I did used to love rooming with him, but, like, oh, he would take control. So he'd get in, he'd look, he'd have the best, you know, if it was a, a double bed or a single bed, he's on a double bed, and he's on his he's on his laptop or his iPad, he's on his phone, and I'm like, well, at least I can watch a TV. No, he's got a remote control. He was like, <laughs> never. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's started coaching other coins and uh, he's he's dealing with some interesting characters at the minute. So he'll, he'll have his he'll have his money's worth down there. He'll he'll, he'll meet his match down there. To be fair to him, there's no one more interested in him. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, he's especially when he gets on the beer. He's a bit of a loose goose, isn't he? Uh, I know. I've seen him get filled in in Vivian Park tennis court. So so you can't say. Too uh, to Richard about getting filled in. Yeah. Oh, I'll drink that all day, boys. <laughs> oh, 
That's going to be the best memory of Vivian Park we've had for. Yeah, it's got to be. All, all the football, forget about the football. Richard and Ben getting beaten up in the Vivian Park tennis courts. <laughs> they, uh, so we we got to touch on it. I think we, I weren't going to touch on it, but because of Twitter yesterday, that, that kick is probably a one of the most famous moments as a Gloucester in not just in your career but in the in the Gloucester history. Um, what was your feel? Can you uh, remember what your feeling was like before and after the kick? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because the before the kick, I, we didn't play well really. Oh, we actually, first half we played well, and obviously it was against top of the table, Saracens. Mm-hmm. And second half, then the wheels come off a little bit, and like we almost lost the game. Like we. We were in touching distance for a losing bonus point. And then Chris Aston went through, if, you, if you've seen the game, he sort of, uh, or Wigglesworth, I can't remember who it was, someone kicked the kick through when Aston was offside anyway. Uh, but he'd scored the try. We hadn't seen the offside initially. Um, and then the video ref came back and said, have a look at this. And he was offside. So we had a penalty end on the halfway line. So I remember going from thinking, oh, we haven't got a losing bonus point. We've, you know, we played rubbish and all this sort of stuff to thinking, it's in the 80th minute, we've got an opportunity now to, to send this over and, and get a win. Like, so there's no doubt, you know, I had to take the kick, the kick on. And um, yeah, I just remember thinking, like, I'd, I'd knocked over some, I'd missed a couple that day, but I'd knocked over some tough kicks because it was really windy. Yeah. And I, I thought, I knew I had a distance. It was just, I needed just to just to strike it right, like, you know, and um, luckily it, it flew off a boot. And then I just remember like the place erupting in because a lot of a lot of fans had left when they saw Ashton go over. They thought, you know, that's it. Now they go out, beat the crowds, and get out there. Like, and yeah, you could just I just remember like, seeing highlights of fans sprinting back in from the gates outside, just cheering like because they'd heard the roar and like the kick had gone over and won the game. It was ah, oh, it was brilliant. And then um, we had a Christmas party then, cause even though it was in January because we had like, a tight schedule around Christmas. Yeah, got the Christmas party schedule in for the Saturday, so I was, I was brilliant. Any memories from our party? Not a lot, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was great, and like, so many Gloucester fans now just say, like, in a way, I, I don't want to just be remembered facts. Like you say, we won the Challenge Cup, and there was other good memories there. But like from a personal point of view, obviously, it's uh, it's a good memory, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a bad memory to be remembered about. Could yeah. be worse. Could be the guy who um, drop kicked the ball into a prop's head, and that's why I mem- remembered Forest Swansea. So it could be worse. <laughs> Talk us about that foot. Ah, well, break it down for us, Ford. Come on, yeah. analyze it. It's just after the re- regional game had gone to uh, Premier Sports, and BBC had said, <laughs> "I tell you what, we chuck a bunch of headers on the Friday night um, in the Premiership." So we were the second game on against Bridgend. You know, massive thing about four teams being relegated. Swansea had been bought them a year before. We'd had a build-up all week. Yeah, this is a massive game. We got must win. You know, it's one we got a target. So I had been I'd been picked to start. I was in university at the time, so I'd be actually um, in an analysis review in the morning with the uni from the game on a Wednesday. I hadn't played, but I was there. So I said to the boys, "Yeah, yeah, pump for tonight." All the boys were like, "Yeah, we'll tune in." So about three, four minutes in the game, we get a they miss the penalty. We go for a, a drop out twenty-two, and as I kick it, I strike it, and it just goes flat into their prop's head, and it bounces off his head and goes straight in the touch. 
I just stand there, hands on my hips, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Just look around. And as we go in for half time, I'd never done it before, but as we go for half time, I don't know, because we were on TV, I thought I'd have to check my phone yeah. Look at my phone, there's WhatsApp there, just crying, laughing, faces, <laughs> eyes emoji, like videos of it. I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. But yeah. Uh, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse from James. Not knocking over a fifty-two meter penalty kick and drop kicking one in the prop's head. So you know, <laughs> no, you know he was saying you always remember where you were in big moments. <laughs> <laughs> we all remember where we were when we watched our foot. <laughs> I sat next to my old man. I think the only thing that happened was uh, what came up my old man's uh, mouth was, "Oh no." <laughs> did the camera even zoomed in on your foot after that? Yeah, it, did, it did, yeah. yeah. Did foot, did you like that? Yeah, I'm saying the two jibs. I'm saying the two. Yeah. Um, I, don't know, I don't know which uh, footage will blow up more. Uh, the Gloucester one or that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it to Swansea Uni Boys for Yeah, uh, there's, oh, there's one, actually, funny enough, there is one footage of... Um, me getting run around by Max Nagy when I was playing for University of South Wales. So, um... They've, they've already seen that. Um, oh, uh, there's no shame in that. He's not a bad player, uh, is he? Yeah, uh, classic. Uh, just been dropped. And they said, and Gus had told me, go and play for USW now. And then the week after, we played Swansea. So first game back, Max gets a ball, makes a line break. And I was getting full back. And I just just stood there and just watched him run around me from under the post. So, yeah, we, we get our 50 footage up all the time. Uh, I bet you loved that as well. Oh yeah, he did. Especially when I was coaching last year, he didn't. Uh, he didn't hold back. So if I'd sent him a, a clip of like, oh, this is where you could work on, he'd just send me a clip back. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, fair So yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Josh, um, James, you obviously had a had a great rugby career, and everyone everyone is very acknowledgeable of of your career and how good it was. But you've become a bit of a an author uh, since <laughs> since you've retired, and and a coffee connoisseur, shall we say? So, uh, do you want to just explain to to us and the listeners what, what's going on with you at the moment? Yeah, well, yeah, just well quickly with with the book stuff. Is because when I was in Gloucester, I um, my eldest Harrison, my eldest boy, he wanted a rugby book, like you know. So I thought I I hadn't read you know rugby books for years, like you know, and I can't remember reading any in school. So I thought, oh, we'll, we'll go out to the book fair. They had a book fair on the, the side of the school. There was nothing there, a lot of football stories. And it was one or two rugby books, but they were factual, you know, Lions Tours or World Cup history or whatever. Um, so I said, we'll get online now, we'll get anyone. And it was just nothing really for, for kids. Like, you know, I was like, this is this is nuts. Like, you know, because, all right, maybe not so much in England, but like in Wales, the kids grow up, they love rugby and... Also, you know how important reading is for, for kids, you know, especially reading things they enjoy as well. Um, so, I, to be honest, I didn't do anything for, for six, eight months. And as when I returned back from Gloucester to the Ospreys, it kept popping into my head and Harris would mention something. So I thought, oh, forget this. I'm just going to do something about it and like, see what happens. So I um, got in touch with Mal Pope, who's a BBC uh, radio DJ, lives in Mumbles, a family friend and that. I knew he'd know somebody who, who you know, dealt in children's books. So he put me in touch with Dave Brayley, who I'm writing the book with, and um, he, he's brilliant. Like you know, So within the matter of the phone call, to two or three days, three days later, the three of us met up, and I told Dave about what I was you know, thinking of, and he was, he was on board straight away, and he's, he's a great bloke, so that obviously made it easier. 
and we just we started right then pretty much straight away, like you know. And um, basically, the book is if if you haven't uh, heard about it, is it's a fictional book, but it's based on my my rugby career and my, and my life with obviously you know fictional parts in there, like you know. So yeah, yeah it's, to be honest, you know, it's it's gone really well, like in terms of the feedback I've had and like. To be honest, I'm doing the lockdown. The amount of schools that are reading the book now to their kids online, and uh, like I say, the messages I'm having and Dave's having is, is brilliant. It's just what we wanted from it, like you know. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Josh. But... Yeah, really, really, it's. Uh, I think the plan is to make the series. Is it? Like obviously, yeah. the, this one's the first one out now, and there's um, there's more to come. Like. Yes, yeah, so we finished writing the second one. Um, it's gone to to edit and now with the publisher now. So hopefully, because COVID is so obviously. Putting, uh, you know, it's not, not helping time wise. So before the summer, hopefully, the second one will be out. And I'm hoping to write, you know, a few more. The publisher, you know, hopefully will give us another contract for a couple more because, you know, it's, it's a story that's going to grow with the character, like, you know. Yeah. And I, I got a couple of conversations with Dave when he was working for Spider B, and I can actually say that he's a, he's a top, top guy. So I think it's a toast to Dave, really. Yeah. And, and the yeah. book. So toast toast to Dave. Dave. I'll tell Dave to watch this because he'll, he'll appreciate this. <laughs> but uh, no, Dave is um, like primarily he's a football football guy. Like you know his background is football, and he's he's written like um, he's written a, a cycling book called uh, Champion of Champions as well. But so rugby wasn't really his his first sport, if you like. Like, but the way he's taken to it is is brilliant. Like so, like I say. He, him me working with him just makes it so much easier, like, you know. Yeah, and he, your book was mentioned on one of mine and Josh's favorite pods a couple of weeks ago, the Social Resistance Pod by Mike Bubbins. Oh, that's one of my favorite podcasts ever, boys. <laughs> How good is that? Oh, good, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I remember I was driving home from work, I think, and uh, your your book got mentioned. I just had a giggling because I was like, it's a surreal kind of thing. The Mike Bubbins is such a he's such a character. And How funny is he? Like running and doing like five Ks and all that sort of stuff. They, that that podcast got me through us all the time. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been listening to, but that's uh, yeah, that's what's been accompanying me on the run so far. They're brilliant. Aren't they? I saw Mike Bubbins in uh, the Cardiff Glee about two years ago, and I and I remember leaving there thinking, "Oh, that bloke was that bloke was brilliant. Like he was hilarious." And I saw him. Oh. Um, I followed him on Twitter back at him, and I didn't really hear anything much. And then, and then that pod came out back in March. Oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? Oh, in class. They sent me um, the the mug, like the social social distance podcast mug. So that's got pride in place in the cupboard, I know. Amazing, amazing. What do you get when everyone thinks the world is going crazy? That's the a random acts of kindness, and you've got our in the place now. Happy days. <laughs> So, Josh, I know you're a bit of a coffee lover. Josh, you got any questions for the Fab Four coffee? Coffee lover, but, you know, probably my limits cost for Starbucks, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah, so obviously another venture since finishing, uh, James, is obviously the coffee with um, you know, Shane Williams, Lieber and Mike Phillips. How did, uh, how did all that come about? Well, obviously we've been mates for, for years now, like playing the Ospreys and the Wales and Lions and stuff. But, like, Back years ago, we've always said we want to want to do something together, and we got the name like the Fab Four by whether it's old coaches or like whether it was a paper or whatever. I, I didn't know where the name came from, but it, we just we sort of thought it's something something there for us there, like it's a bit of a brand, like you know. And um, 
it was me and Shane were doing something um, just after the lockdown for, for, for the Wales fans game, I think, in the Autumn Cup, just gone. And um, yeah. we were talking, we were like, we've been speaking about it for so long now. We've all retired. Let's just do it. Like, you know, stop talking about it. We've all got, we've got a WhatsApp group. So as we were going up together, we just put some messages in the group and we all love coffee. And we said, let's do it. Like, and, and this was just so six, seven weeks before Christmas. And we thought, let's get it out before Christmas. Like, you know, because we wanted to involve a charity, which is Valindra and Shane is a patron of and done a lot of work for. We thought, you know, we got a chance to get this out and, and get a bit, you know, raise a bit of money um, and see how it goes. Like, and it's bonkers. And to be fair to Shane, uh, he, he was doing so much of the work. Um, Mike's obviously living in Dubai. Um, so, like, all the orders are coming in, and Shane was literally just packing the coffee. Um, he was packing it up, going to the post office and sending it off himself. Like, And he was, like, messaging, saying, but I can't keep up with this. So, it's, it's gonna, you know, we're going to sort of grow it now and, and sort of employ someone to, to sort it all out because cause it's done so well, like, you know. Who's, uh, who's is the biggest seller in? Shane has wangled it, so is his somehow. I don't know. I don't know how, but uh, I think Shane's is. Yeah, uh... the number Shane is, but well, yeah. if he's posting them, but don't blame him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 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 But I no, think... it's a good. It's, it's an excuse for us to get back together as well as a four. Like we all such good mates playing the game, and like I said, Mike's living in Dubai. Bernie's he's working, you know, in construction and. Uh, Shane's doing pretty much everything, and like I, I'm actually doing my stuff, and he's always an excuse to say, "Oh, you know, we're doing this and that." And now we, we've spoken more now in the last two months than we would have probably in the last three, four years, like you know. So, yeah. if nothing else, it's just great for that, like. Yeah, and that's especially during lockdown. It's probably one of the most important things they to talk to your mates, and yeah, I think that's what I was, that's what I was on the Zoom for, with just before this point. Yeah, so, so hey, we can't follow much, can we? We got. I can't afford this. Yeah, they got something more important, now, man. Yeah, I love it. Love it. We'd, we'd be great to get out. We'll have a live show with the Fab Four. <laughs> yeah, as long, awesome. got, as long as we don't charge over twenty quid each, we're, we're happy. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do a deal, man? Yeah. Um, so obviously, along with that, you, you, you think that's probably busy, and then you, you're actually coaching now with the Ospreys. You kick in coach and you work with the academy. And your work with Swansea University, um, how, how have you found that so far? Obviously, in in difficult situation. Yeah, that's that's been tough. Like the kicking stuff, I really enjoy with the Ospreys um, and and the academy stuff that I'm doing now. But firstly, I, I'm I'm down as like um, backs coach for the uni with with Gus, as you know, Ford. And yeah, the, the trouble with that is at the moment, like it's been stop start, you know, and, and when they have been in training. Because of COVID, they haven't been able to do any contact. They have to be sort of split into different groups, and it's tough, like you know, because rugby players, you know, they want to get in and, and smash each other and, and have games to look forward to. So, yeah, I started with them in August, I think, training, and they haven't played a game. They haven't done any contact. Obviously, now they're off now since just before Christmas, and it doesn't look like they're going to be back until at least mid February. So. Yeah, like I was looking forward. To obviously, you know, when you're coaching, you you want a game at the end of it, don't you? So, exactly. Players get a bit frustrated, but like you know, Ford, you were there last year. Some quality players there, so you just want to see them now in, in action, like playing. So, hopefully, the varsity is still scheduled for for this year. They haven't sort of cancelled that yet, so it's still open at 
you know, hopefully I mean, I'll play, but you never know, do you? You know, it, it doesn't look like to be honest, but you just never know. Hopefully, I could be a day out for the, the podcast. We'll get all there as well. Um, I've said to him I'd give him a mention. I think um, Gus was a great mentor for me last year. He's, he's a top coach. He's don't buy many beers. He's a bit tight, <laughs> but he's a top guy in the old uh, old who. Oh, Gus is brilliant, and obviously with him in the Ospreys when he was playing, and knew we went to the university and stuff. And when I knew like I was going to be working with Gus, he's oh, he's a top man and a really good coach, really good with the players and. You can't do enough in terms of like getting the best out of the team. Like he's, um, I love working with him. That's why, like, you know, I want to start playing some games now and seeing how we go. Like, you know, so. But yeah, I was, I was thinking of enrolling on a carpentry course to get a game in a varsity. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get on a short course Welsh one, bud. Straight on. <laughs> is that what you did? Is it? No, they took one look at him and he declined him straight away. <laughs> Cheers, Ford. Uh, no worries, Josh. Um, there is, uh, you've obviously you've touched on it. And I think Josh was going to touch on it. You you've taken over from um, from pretty special coach really at Swans University. So so you, there's more pressure. Um, absolute scandal, that is. Uh, <laughs> absolute scandal. She went as a good coach, didn't she? For <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cones on Ford, didn't it? Hey, mate, I was just all around uh, morale off, so I was just keeping morale <laughs> off. You popped down the other day, but the new. Yeah, we popped down before, before COVID, took off again, and uh, yeah, boys looking much better than you were last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hey, me, but there's not many people from Batal, but uh, coach from Middlefield, so. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that, but yeah, we, we we had a joke, we had a running joke earlier actually that obviously I'm the only coach who hasn't coached a game, but but we're unbeaten, we're unbeaten in the minute. So you <laughs> know, they've just got you translator in food. Yeah, just now, yeah. I'm like uh Marshall Obielsa leads, I got a translator <laughs> really everywhere. But... <laughs> um Josh, uh, any more questions uh, before we move on to the public questions? Yeah, no, it, was, it was only one. I, I meant to ask it earlier, but I forgot. But um, obviously, we talked about uh, like Neath, the Ospreys, uh, Perpignan, Gloucester, and obviously you know, your Welsh, uh, a Welsh crew with, uh, and the Lions. But uh, where do you think you played your best rugby? Uh, probably Neath, Neath and, and the Ospreys, my first stint in the Ospreys. So that like 2006 or 2005, really, with Neath. Right up to 2009, 10, yeah. probably. Class. What have we got from uh, the public, Ford? Yeah, we got a couple of uh, from the public. Um, let me try and find some. Uh, no, no, he's you know he's like a caveman. He can only type one message a day. So Same man on a made up account. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a question from Declan Harris. What's your worst injury and how did you overcome injuries? Uh, touch wood. I was pretty lucky with injury. Um, I popped on my labrum. So I tore my labrum in, in my shoulder mm. back in, like, I think it was 2009, I think. But that, that was painful. But like it was like a three, three-month three injury. I had an operation and I knew I was going to be back. And, you know, I didn't have any problems after that, really. But... The worst one, I always say, it doesn't sound like, you know, a gruesome injury, I think, but 
was, when I was in Gloucester, my back, I, um, my back tightened up uh, for one game, and I was playing every week for Gloucester. They were rolling me out, and mm. I don't know, I was stupid really. I sort of said, "Look, I can't carry on." But I was training, I was playing game by game. I remember playing against Leicester away, and my back just just went. And I had shooting pain on my leg, and I had a terrible nerve pain, like right down to my toe. And that obviously I didn't play in for I think months, months and months, and like. I had like epidural injections in my back to try and I wasn't sleeping. I was taking tramadol to try and sleep. And mm-hmm. like, like I said earlier, I, I don't never sleep in the day, but like when it comes to like nine o'clock, I'm, I'm shattered and I'm, I'm no trouble sleeping in. But like, it was the worst feeling just being in agony, just couldn't get asleep. But I was like, how, how long is this going to go on for? Like, and like I say, it doesn't sound like a bad injury, but if you've had back pain, oh, it's horrible. And, I had another epidural injection and which sorted it out and yeah, like I say, touch wood, it's, it's been right yeah. since. Um, another one from Glenn Williams. Uh, what coaches or club man was instrumental to you coming through the mini section? I think I know the answer. I think you've spoken about it before, but is there any uh, coaches or club man are instrumental to when you're coming through? Uh, it's hard to pick one, but like, like Di Braga I mentioned at the start, like, you know, he helped me when I first started. Um, and then Mike Barnett was uh, do you know Mike Barnett yeah he's passed yeah. away now but uh, what a man talk about old school flipping like. but uh, I remember him coaching me like Abraham Juniors and Abraham Youth then with British Steel so he had a big influence um, and then Patrick Hogan then with Neath yeah I, I think that's great for Neath to have Patrick Hogan back at the end um, he's like when they're in the state of uh, they were in and to have Patrick yeah. back yeah he's great um, they had the loose goose uh, back uh, for a while, but for Pat to take over is brilliant from. Yeah, I played with Pat and he coached me as well, like, so it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, just we'll finish off with one final question uh, from Jackson Lucid, the Chinese vinyl. Um, who was the best in training who rarely or never showed in on the match day? So, was there anyone in training that, that was outstanding on match day? Just, just. Ah, flipping neck. That's a good question, that is. Trained like Tarzan, played like Jane, like... Yeah, yeah, a bit like that, right? Um, I don't think you want to chuck anyone under the bus. No, I, I, honestly, I'm trying to think, like... Um, I don't know, boys, I don't know. You're bad, though, huh? Bad, yeah. <laughs> he looks a bit like Jane as well, to be fair to him. <laughs> uh, James, um, oh, one more... Uh, Who's the best player you've played with never to get capped? Go on. From David Dyer's. David Dyer. David Dyer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a player. James, uh, I don't know. I don't know, actually. Um, never to get capped. Oh, there's a few. Um, I don't know. Steve Tandy, when he was in the Ospreys, he was... Yeah. Player, I never got capped. I tell you, like, thinking more recent, like... Oh, Dan Evans, actually, I've got a cap in here, I think, for, for the Ospreys. Yeah, he like, could have got more, though. He should have deserved more. I oh, think. he definitely should have had more. Like, one of the more consistent 15s around, like, every yeah. season, like, you know. But I think he has, he, he has got a cap, actually. But, yeah, yeah, there's so many players, like, like that, really. Yeah. I I thoroughly enjoyed the last hour and a half or whatever it's been. It's, it's been outstanding, James. I'm very much appreciated, especially the busy schedule. Um, pleasure, boys. Pleasure. Yeah, we do appreciate it, but 
Thanks Josh, for having me on, boys. Uh, Josh, anything to finish off on before we go? No, I think we just need on the head. Like, uh, I think when we started this fold, wasn't it, back in the summer when we thought over a couple of beers at a cricket club, uh, why not talk some nonsense for a couple of hours each week and then and then chuck it out there? But um, no, I think at the time getting people like yourself on or Owen Barnes stuff was a bit of a probably a pipe dream at that point. But no, like we do really appreciate you giving up your time on a on a Friday night just to come and have a chat with us and stuff. So um, yeah, cheers for that, James. Top man. Hey, pleasure, boys. Pleasure. Cheers, James. Top man. Hit some shit now when you have him on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, he's. I'm going to put pressure on him in the coaching group. Actually, I'm still in the Queen's coaching group, so I put pressure on him to get on now. Um, massive thank you to James again. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback on uh, the Twitter and Instagram handles are at pttspod, and our email is pttspod at gmail.com. Got our right straight away, Josh. No, let's have a talk to that. Cheers, boys. Thank you, James. Tomorrow, that.